2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read this chapter to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Follow along with me. Therefore, since we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Father, we ask that you would by the power of your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and open our minds that your gospel message would indeed change us and transform us, that it would break away our hardness, that it would soften our hearts, that it would cause the seed of your word to be planted in the good soil of the ground that you have prepared and that you would bring the increase a harvest of righteousness for your glory. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. The power of the gospel is not in man's ability to persuade another to believe. 
I don't get up here week in and week out and try to persuade you to believe in God, to trust in Jesus, because the reality is if your faith is only built upon someone else's ability to persuade you, then you really have no faith. You may have a temporary belief. You may have a temporary feeling of something, but it's not true, real, biblical faith because you can't talk someone into faith. The power of the gospel is not in man's ability to persuade another to believe. The power of the gospel is in God's willingness to save by his grace those who otherwise are not able to believe. I believe because God's grace gave me the ability and the willingness to trust him. We just finished our series on the five solas of the Reformation. And that truth that came out of the Reformation didn't begin 500 years ago. It was the truth of the Scripture as God breathed it and inspired it as it was written and recorded by men of God by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Reformation just simply took us back to the truths that had always existed, but we veered away from them. We veer into this idea that it's our responsibility to persuade men to believe in Jesus. And that is not our responsibility. We do not have the power to do that. And we deceive men and we deceive ourselves if we think we do. Only God has the power to change a heart. We do not have the power to change a heart. Salvation does not occur when a man is convinced to believe through the power of persuasion. Salvation occurs when a man is convinced to believe through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the same God that caused light to shine out of the darkness of the first natural creation that causes light to shine forth in the darkness of our hearts in a new creation of the Spirit. This is what Paul writes in verse 6 here. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He goes on and he says, we don't preach ourselves. And this is why Paul preached Christ and he did not preach himself or any other man. It is the spirit changing a heart, not man changing a mind that brings salvation. A new heart born out of a new birth by the spirit only will produce an ability and a willingness to trust and obey and worship God in love. A man cannot even see the kingdom of God unless he is born again, Jesus declares in John 3.3. 3. He can't even see it. He's blind to it. It's blind to him until he is born again. No longer in darkness, we are to be no longer conformed to this world. Now we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. 
God has shown a light in our heart and we now can see the face of his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 6 shows us exactly where the glory of God must be seen. Now, don't get me wrong. The glory of God can be seen all around us. It's seen in each of you. It's seen in these children. You walk outside. It's seen in the trees. It's seen in the birds. It's seen in the wind and the sun and the moon and the stars. It's seen everywhere. It's seen in all of creation. But the reason that we're not bowing down and worshiping the sun is because ultimately the glory of God is not to be known in the sun. We're not moon worshipers like Muhammad was and Islam was. No, because the glory of God is not ultimately to be known and worshiped in the moon or the stars. No, we worship God. And God has been made known to us and manifest to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul says the same God who at the creation of the natural universe, who caused light to shine out of darkness, has caused the darkness of your heart to be enlightened so that you can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ so that you can have the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God spoke and caused light to shine out of your heart and has revealed his glory to you in the face of Jesus. The face of Jesus is the very specific place that we must come to know and find the glory of God. And everything else and everyone else is to be defined by that glory, not its own glory. Renewal begins in our heart by the Spirit that moves to our mind through our ongoing willingness to present ourselves to God. Being born again is a a once-in-a-life experience, just like our natural birth. That is the exclusive work of God. Being transformed by the renewing of our mind is a lifelong process of growth and maturity that we participate in. Both are brought about by His power and His grace. Paul writes in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship or your reasonable service or your reasonable act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Renewal begins in our heart by the Spirit. It moves to our mind through the ongoing willingness to present ourselves to God. Are you willing to present yourself to God? Bennett and Catherine presented Elena Kate to God today. But the question is, are you willing to daily present yourself to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable? That, the Bible says, is your reasonable act of worship. Some people think just getting to church once a week on Sunday is, is, 
may be unreasonable, but the Bible says it is your reasonable act of worship for you to continuously present yourself a living sacrifice to God. Why? Because you don't belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus. You are bought. You are purchased by his blood, by his scars. You don't belong to yourself. The Bible declares you belong to Jesus. You once were darkness, but you are light. Your hearts were dark. My heart was dark. But the same God who caused light to shine out of the creation shone a light in your heart to give to you the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels. This is what Paul writes in verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What treasure? This light who is Christ. We have it in earthen vessels. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Faith is not a thought someone plants in our mind. Faith is a seed God plants in our heart. Like any seed planted in the earth, the cycle of life and death and resurrection produces a harvest to make manifest the life of Christ. You see this picture, this cycle of life and death and resurrection Throughout the scripture, you see it in people, you see it in things, you see it in, in everything. You see it in nature, you see it in, in our very life and our very existence. Faith does not first originate and reside in your mind. This is what we are tempted to believe. This is what we're tempted to think. We're tempted to try to use logical reasonable arguments to get men to believe in God as if faith is something that must first reside in our mind and then it moves to our heart. That is not correct. That's not biblical. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a reason for the hope that that lies within us. I'm not saying that we should not know why we believe what we believe, but we should be very clear on this point. You cannot save someone by convincing them to believe in Jesus. Because if they only have a mental knowledge of Jesus, a mental belief in Jesus, and it's not a heart belief, that belief will be destroyed one day. Take the incident that happened one week ago today in Sutherland Springs, Texas. There are a lot of people who had a mental faith in Jesus, and that faith was destroyed the moment that man walked into that church and murdered all of those people. And there are people today who are saying, if God can allow that to happen, then I will not believe in that God. I will not trust in that God. Your faith and my faith better be rooted and grounded in something much greater than our minds. It better be rooted and grounded in the good soil of our hearts that God created That must be the word of God planted in our hearts. Faith must begin in our heart, not in our mind. Faith must originate and reside in our heart. Faith is not based on what we're able to see and know. Faith is based on what we know, even though we cannot see. 
Romans 8, or Romans 10, 8 through 11, Paul writes, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for the scripture says whoever believes on him will not be put to shame faith is the seed God plants in our new heart and from the heart the mouth speaks the Bible doesn't say if you confess with your mouth and believe in your mind it says if you believe in your heart your heart and your mind are two different things. We are to come to believe in our mind, but it must first be rooted and grounded in our heart. It's not first the quantity of faith, but the quality of faith. The quality and the kind of seed makes a difference. Jesus teaches us that faith the size of a mustard seed can do mighty things. In Matthew chapter 13 and Mark chapter 4, we have the parable of the sower. And it's a parable of Jesus where he presents this picture that the sower goes out and he sows seed. And Jesus declares in clarifying the parable for his disciples who said, why do you always speak in these parables? We don't know what in the world you're talking about. And Jesus said, I do that on purpose because I don't want everybody to know what I'm talking about because it's not given to everybody to know what I'm talking about, but it has been given to you to know what I'm talking about. And then he clarifies the parable. and He says, the sower takes the seed and he goes and he sows it. And the seed falls, some on hard ground, and the birds come and eat it up. He said, that's the devil. Some fall on rocky ground, and it springs up, and it springs forth, but there's no depth there, and so the root can't take root, and it withers and dies when persecution comes. Then there's some that's sown among thorny ground, and it takes root, but the thorns and the thistles and the weeds choke it out and it dies and it never bears fruit. Jesus said, that's the cares of this world that invade our life. But then Jesus said, but there is seed that's sowed on good soil. And that seed sowed on good soil produces a harvest, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. You are called to be sowers. You are to go and sow the seed of God's word. To do that, you don't have to understand all the details, all the intricacies of how God works and why God does what he does and why he doesn't do some things and why he does other things. You don't have to know why God allowed a man to walk into a church a week ago and kill all of those people. You don't have to know why because no one knows why. But we do know this, that man was evil, that man was depraved, that man represented the depth of who we could be apart from the grace of God. You say, I could never do that. Don't say, I could never do anything. Say, rather, 
By the grace of God, I would never do that. By, by the grace of God, I will do this. By the grace of God, I will not do that. Because if there's one thing the Bible is clear on, it is that humanity is depraved. And apart from the grace of God, we can sink to the depth of depravity, depths that we cannot even imagine. And we see it manifest all around us. But by the grace of God, we are here today. By the grace of God, we trust in Jesus today. By the grace of God, we have the hope of salvation today. By the grace of God, in spite of my sinfulness and my own depravity, God will save me even though I don't deserve his salvation. By the grace of God. Faith is a seed that God plants in our heart. It's his grace that does that. You've been given the privilege to sow that seed. God prepares the heart. You, you're just a sower who's out there sowing seed. It's his seed. It's his word. Somebody sowed seed into your heart. God prepared your heart to receive that seed. And the harvest, the fruit of that seed is evident today because you're here. Not that being in church is going to save you, but there is a witness that's been given today because you are here and you're not somewhere else. Because you are looking to God, seeking God, and you're not looking to or seeking someone or something else. Because God prepared your heart and the seed was sown you know that your hope, your only hope is in him and you look to him to be your hope. That is the grace of God, my friends. That is only the grace of God. We are called to go and sow that seed, the seed of the gospel, the seed of his word. Not convincing the seed to grow in the ground because you can't do that. How silly if, if you were to drive by a field and you see a farmer standing out there and he is just giving it one of these, just talking, and you stop and say, man, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm trying to convince my seeds to grow here. You say, you don't have to convince your seeds to grow. Did you put them in the ground? If you put them in the ground, and it's good ground, they're going to grow. Not because you convinced them to grow, but because that's, the miracle of what happens when we plant a seed in the ground, something miraculous happens. You don't have to go out and convince someone to believe. Just go out and be a faithful sower of the word and trust God to do the miraculous. God promises those who are his that our afflictions are working for us. Now I want you to think about a seed, okay? Remember, Jesus said, how many of you have ever seen a mustard seed? Do I have any cooks here? You don't know how big a mustard seed is. Go home and Google it. Or go pull mustard seed out of your pantry and see how small it is. 
I got a burr oak tree. I got several of them growing in my, on my property, and they produce an acorn that's about that big. Now, Jesus didn't say, if you have faith the size of a mossy back oak acorn or a burr oak acorn, he said, no, if you have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, you can speak to that mountain. You can speak to that tree. To move the mountain of your sin, it only takes a seed so small you could miss it very easily. It's not the quantity of the seed, it's the quality of the seed. It's the seed of the gospel. That's how powerful the gospel is. That that seed the size of a grain of mustard seed, that seed of faith can move the mountain of your sin and have it cast into the sea. It can do other things too. Now what do you do with seeds? We come to this verse 16 here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. God promises those who are His that our afflictions are working for us. They're working for us something far more exceeding and eternal and weighty and glorious than we can imagine. God doesn't make this promise to everybody. He makes this promise to those who are his. Just like the promise of Romans 8.28 is not a promise to everybody. Romans 8.28, Paul qualifies it. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. I'm going to take it on faith. You're here today. And because you're here today, I'm going to believe, I choose to believe that you love God and you are the called according to his purpose. Therefore, the promise of God belongs to you that he will work all things together for good in your life. And this is the very same promise we see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That was the power of God. Though we may not be able to imagine exactly, we're given an idea of the magnitude of that which is working for us. So consider a seed. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 12, 23 and 24. But Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, 
I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now consider the words of Jesus there. Listen to what Jesus says. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. He didn't say the hour has come that the Son of Man should be murdered. He didn't say the hour has come that the Son of Man should die. He said the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Well, how are you going to be glorified, Jesus? Well, I'll tell you how. I'm going to be like a grain of wheat, and I'm going to fall into the ground, and I'm going to die. And out of my death is going to come glory. Now think about a farmer Now, Billy's a farmer. I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I'm just going to take a wild guess that if Billy's planning on planting a corn crop or cotton crop next year, when he buys his seed, he doesn't pile his seed up there by the roadside and leave it exposed and uncovered and just piled up there for months on end for the elements to just rain on it and the sun to shine on it and the wind to blow on it and the animals to come and eat on it. And then after months of having that seed just out there exposed in the elements, he's going to go gather that up and then he's going to go plant it over his acreage and expect to get a harvest. It doesn't work that way. What's really kind of funny and ironic is that a farmer will diligently protect his seed from the elements to ultimately cast them into the ground and expose them to the very elements he was protecting them from. And the seed he was so careful to protect for so many months, he now literally throws caution to the wind and casts it to the ground and he does it by faith. When they harvest seed corn, they don't pile it up in the pasture out there, expose the elements. They put it in a silo. They put it somewhere where it's protected so that the farmer can take it next season and then do what? Throw it in the ground and expose it to the elements so that it will do what? So that it will be glorified. And what happens when that seed's glorified? It goes into the ground, it dies, and out of that death, it produces life. It's not what he sees in the moment, the farmer, but what he knows by faith. He does not see the harvest in the moment, but by faith he knows it will come if he sows his seed. Therefore, he sees the harvest by faith, and his faith is the substance of the things hoped for. It's the evidence of of what's not seen. He sows that seed in the ground because he sees a harvest. He knows a harvest will come. And it's only going to come if he sows that into the ground. If it is afflicted and crushed and broken and ultimately dies, then miraculously life comes. I wonder why God made the world that way. You ever wonder about that? Why did God make seeds to fall to the earth and die and then come to life? Maybe God made the world that way because 
That's what God ordained and destined for us to have happen in Christ. The seed disappears into the ground as the farmer hopes in what he cannot see. The evidence of what cannot be seen is in the farmer's faith. Faith that the seed will spring forth and produce a harvest. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. For it, the elders obtained a good testimony. It is by faith that we too obtain a good testimony. What kind of testimony would a farmer have if he never planted a crop because he was waiting first to see his harvest? Well, when I see a harvest, then I'll plant my seed. Uh, Mr. Farmer, if you don't plant your seed, you'll never see the harvest. Some of you are waiting to see the harvest before you plant your seed. You better start planting seed so that you can realize your harvest. The farmer will never have a harvest until he first cast away his seed in faith. Neither will we. Faith is not believing what we can see. Faith is knowing what we cannot see. That knowing is not to be based on our whims and our fancies. It's not even to be based on our pain and our suffering. But in the solid truth of God revealed and confirmed all around us. If you want proof, plant a seed and watch what happens. It is the process of being exposed, weather-beaten, crushed, and afflicted that actually is working for us. Our ability to die guarantees our hope of life. Like all seeds, unless they fall to the ground and die, they remain alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. That is God's promise to each one of us who are trusting in Him. God's promise gives us hope in all of life, especially in the afflictions that are working for us. We, like a seed, are being prepared to spring forth in a harvest of life that is beyond our ability to imagine. But God has given us a glimpse of what He is working by demonstrating all around us how the cycle of life and death and resurrection works for us. This is why we are commanded and how we can in all things rejoice. The promise of God, the joy that is our strength, the life given to us by grace through faith in Christ is eternal. Look beyond those things seen and look into the things not seen, the things that are truly eternal. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The initiator and the completer of our faith. That is who Jesus is. I want to invite you to come to the Lord's table, to this Jesus who initiated your faith and who has promised to complete your faith. He planted the seed in your heart and that seed of faith brings you to this table and gives you access to the grace that it continually offers to each one of us through faith. Let's all stand. In Jesus Christ, you have reason to rejoice. You have reason to hope. You have reason to trust. You are a seed waiting to spring forth in greater 
more fruitful life than you can imagine. Look beyond what can be seen and look to those things not seen. Look beyond those things that are temporary and look to those things that are eternal. Those things, those things for Christ is, those things in Christ, those are the things that are more solid, more real than any other thing that we can touch or any other thing that is touching us in this world. This is why we have hope even amidst our affliction. This is why we have hope even when things seem hopeless. We are a people never without hope. I charge you, church, to hope in Christ, to trust in Christ, to be faithful sowers of his word and trust that as you sow as a good farmer, that you will see the harvest that only he can bring. Amen.